On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. You're very welcome along. I will talk to our panel and introduce them in one second, but let me give you a quick run through um, compulsory rustling of papers. It's great to hear that sound, isn't it? Um, of course, all the different titles today. The Sunday Times are going with 40 patients a week need care after botched surgery abroad, which doesn't sound great for those individuals involved or the efficacy of those surgeries. And we also have that terrible tragedy in Clonmel. There's a report from the funeral there by Bo Donnelly over in the Daily Mail. We have Una Healy. I, I don't know much about Una, but she's on the front page of the paper on the right-hand side at Electric Picnic. And we also have some um, look at polling results and constituency analysis by John Drennan. He is suggesting that this analysis suggests the parties will be tied with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, the main rivals, is what he's saying there. Over in the Sunday Independent, on the right-hand side, we have um, Norma Foley talking about backing a ban on smartphone use at primary schools. And the main lead is Sinn Féin on course to win 67 dull seats, uh, but new deputies will not deliver a majority, says a poll there with Ireland Thinks from the Sunday Independent. Uh, Hugh O'Connell and Kevin Cunningham are the authors. Let's go to the Business Post. We have a story about Dublin Airport. Apparently, Dublin Airport is not going to be able to buy or will not be successful in buying a land bank that is adjoining their site which has been sold by the McAvady brothers. Apparently other bidders are prepared to pony up more cash on that one. And down the bottom of the page, Leo Radker wants EU billions, stress billions, to pay farmers for climate actions. This is a story by Daniel Murray where he says a cap-style fund may be set up to reward and compensate farmers and landowners for some of the things they have to do under changes coming through under climate change. This is kind of the views of the Taoiseach. None of this exists, but he's apparently going to travel to the EU and the council meeting there and raise that issue. So farmers, maybe it's to do with this new party that's been offered in the wings, but that's what's happening. I think we have everybody there. We have Sunday Times, Sunday Indo, we have Business Post and we have Daily Mail. Okay, folks, let me introduce our panel. So we have Hugh O'Connell, who's the Deputy Political Editor with the Sunday Independent and Irish Independent from time to time as well. Uh, We also have Aileen Hickey, who is a barrister and she's CEO of Parentline. You're both very welcome along, folks. We don't have a lot of cheery news today, but we will get to some later. But let's get the heavy stuff out of the way. You you have a poll in the Sunday Independent, which is sending out a few different sort of mini stories that are wrapped up in the poll. Do you want to just walk us through what the sort of main elements are? Yeah, well, the the, the monthly tracker poll, uh, opinion poll, shows that uh, Sinn Féin on 33% down one, Fine Gael on 21% up two, Fianna Fáil unchanged on 18%, the Sock Dems on 6% up one, the Greens down uh, three to 2%. Uh, Labour on 3% up 1%, Solidarity, People for Profit unchanged on 3%, AIM2 unchanged on 2%, and Independence and others uh, on 10% down 1%. So what we see is is a a slight um, bump in support for Fine Gael, uh, but not good news for the coalition with the Greens falling to 2%, uh, kind of bordering on statistical irrelevancy at at that figure. Uh, and then Sinn Féin, obviously, still by far and away the, the, the most popular party in the country, really has kind of solidified that sort of third of the uh, electorate, uh, or, or certainly the, the third of the, of the uh, people who were polled in this representative sample of, of the electorate. Um, would, would, you, would you say it's probably fair that the, the constellations that are most likely to form the next government would be mm. Fianna Fáil and, and sorry, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil are... 
Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sock Dems, they'd be the yeah. two when you carve it up. Well, I mean, if you look at it that way, so so obviously then we're, this poll is coming in the context of the, the Boundary Commission, uh, the Boundary Review published by the Electoral Commission this week recommending uh, a redraw of the electoral map for new constituencies, uh, 14 new uh, dull seats. And ourselves in the Sunday Independent and, and in the Mail as well, John Drennan, uh, have projected uh, how the opinion poll ratings at the moment would impact on seats uh, at the next election. Uh, Ireland thinks that our polling company, uh, Kevin Cunningham, uh, the uh, that the head of Ireland thinks has been crunching the numbers, running through spreadsheets, uh, historic voting patterns, vote share. In, in it sounds elections. like you were relieved you didn't have to do that. Yeah, part. he had a lot of laptops <laughs> and spreadsheets and I just kind of said, Kevin, what's yeah. the result? You crack on there, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so his projection, and bear in mind the projections that he's done for previous elections have been reasonably accurate in terms mm. of outcomes. Now, but of course we are a year or a year and a half out from the I election. I suppose you, the bit we don't know is the transfer pattern, right? Yeah, it, but that's factored in as yeah. well. But what I mean is Sinn Féin have generally not been yeah. good transfer. Is that, is there a subtle shift there? And well, the, would the, if the government did a pact, would that change? Things yeah, well, well, what he's done is he's built all of that into the model mm. as well about transfer toxicity. And we, we've done some polling on transfer toxicity recently, which shows the Greens are actually the most transfer toxic at the moment, just ahead of Sinn Féin. But when you pile it all into the spreadsheet, uh, it spurts out the results, which shows uh, Sinn Féin 67 seats, Fianna Gael 40 seats, Fianna Fáil 35 seats, Independence 15 seats, the Sock Dems 9 seats, Labour 3 seats, Solidarity PBP 3 seats, the Greens 1 seat and aim to one seat. So uh, that means that Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Sock Dems, for example, would not have sufficient seats to form a majority in the Dáil. Um, but if you had... Uh, Two independence would make it, would it? Independence, yeah. yeah, would put you over the line, but you'd be cutting a lot of side deals there for, for various uh, constituency independents. Um, but if you put together Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, you'd get a majority, but obviously <laughs> Fine Gael have, have absolutely... That would be something to watch, out. wouldn't it? It would. It'd be quite the U-turn from Fine Gael. Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil looks the most viable option on the basis of, uh, well, the seats work. You get a, a 102 seats. That's well over the 87-seat majority, or 87 seats that you would need for a majority. Um, and obviously we know that Fianna Fáil has softened their, their stance on Sinn Féin a little bit uh, over the last three years. Micheál Martin, Martin the, the Fianna Fáil leader, hasn't spoken as strongly against future coalition with Sinn Féin as he did in the run-up to the last election. So that, at the moment, on current polling, would seem the most viable post-election coalition. And one final thing before I go to Alien on this stuff. Um, Labour, I know it's only a tiny part of the story, and mm. that maybe says a lot, but at 3%, I mean, margin of error stuff, Yeah, the, uh, the Batchik revolution never really got going. No, it didn't. I mean, but but I, I mean, I think that, like, that what this shows as well is a lot of smaller parties would be very concerned about this because it, it they get squeezed. So Labour loses three seats, Solidarity People for Profit lose three seats, but the Greens, I mean, they have 12 seats mm. and they're looking at a near wipeout now mm. at the moment. Uh, on and what, the, do you, on what, what do you identify? Is, is that the whole rural backlash idea or is it more broad-based than that? I mean, is um, it? I, I think it's, it's it's partly that, but I mean, even if you look at that, that poll question that we ask occasionally about transfer toxicity, they're, they're equally toxic in Dublin, I think, and that might have a lot to do with uh, you know, the impact of some of the green measures in terms of, uh, you know, in, in the suburbs, for example, we know the Buskin X project has been very controversial, uh, particularly kind of in, in South Dublin. Um, so there's lots of reasons for that, I think. Um, but but certainly it's, it's not good reading for the Green Party. And again, it, it's difficult then for the Greens to be a player when it comes to building a coalition after the next election.
Now, Aileen, I was hoping you talked us through the constituency redrawing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I have you pencilled in George for that. George a, blew my a, a five-minute <laughs> treatment of the that particular formula that they're using yeah, in yeah, this report. Yeah. Um, well, you can't talk about that, but more broadly, what, what do you make of these numbers? I mean, obviously, as you says, it's a kind of a snapshot in time. Things could change. Fianna Gael could go up, Fianna Fáil could go down. You know, it's just by the definition of it. But in terms of the overall drift, what, what's your assessment? Well, I mean, it, it would appear that the, the, the only natural outcome of this is, you know, when, when there is a general election, which is probably likely to be, I would say, the end of... 2024. They have up to February 2025, mm. but um, much more likely that there'll be a general election, I would imagine, in kind of October, November 2024, for a number of reasons. One, because there's usually a, a more feel-good feel in the country kind of coming up towards Christmas. Uh, January and February are, you know, generally colder. So, you know, th- that that would you know seem to be the case. So, you know, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it would be very unlikely at this stage if there was if the outcome wasn't a Sinn, a Sinn Féin uh, Fianna Fáil coalition. And as you said, Mial Martin certainly seems to be more favourable towards the prospect. I think that's because as well, he has seen the writing on the wall. And, you know, if you're going to take you know, into consideration the democratic right of people to vote for whoever they want, then you have to take the view that if if, if the public are looking at this poll, if 33% of them are going to vote for Sinn Féin, you have to take that into consideration. And I think... But Fianna Gael will say, as long as the numbers add up, we can well, make yeah. up a government total but, but that's know, how I mean, the system I, works. I, I think one of the things that has to be taken into account here is that I think possibly the last time out, uh, there wasn't enough consideration given to what under 40s think and how they vote. And I think this will be taken into much more consideration this time. I mean, first of all, you have to remember under 40s, their their biggest consideration is housing at the moment. And most of them don't remember the troubles or aren't really that bothered about the troubles. So, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're not the Sinn Féin, the, the, the legacy of Sinn Féin, if you want to put it like that, doesn't affect their voting pattern. But you know. should it affect their voting pattern? Well, I'm not going to say what it should or whether it should or shouldn't, but I mean that that's that's you know that's, that's the, the reality. Way it, that's the reality. That's the way it looks. So you know, and and that's why. And again, I suppose if also if you look, I mean, you know, looking at the way this is going to pan out, you know, with the electoral map review and all the rest of it, when people vote in a general election, I think the figure is something that sixty percent of their consideration is party and forty percent is an mm-hmm. individual. There's, there's a lot. And what do you make of what you saying about the Green Party in particular? Do, well, do you have any sympathy Party, for them or do you say well, that? Yeah, I mean, I do have sympathy actually for them as, as it happens. I mean, I think a lot of the, the, the reason why the Green Party are taking a kicking at the moment is that people generally consider that they're going to cost them a lot in, in the future in terms mm. of carbon taxes and all the rest of it. So I think that's, that's really where it is. It's not that people are not concerned about the environment um, or about global warming or anything else. It's just they feel that the Green Party... I suppose, party, yeah, and in the it, context of high inflation, to it's a tough... It's a tough. Uh, in other words, selling a green message, the timing matters, you know, yeah. when you're in a yeah. situation where... I, we're, I mean, I, do, I wouldn't write off the Greens. I mean, I yeah. do think that, like, voters are concerned, increasingly concerned, I think, about climate change. And I think, you know, in the run to an election when you're thinking about the, the next five years um, and you know don't don't forget the context is everything I mean we had the Greens uh, slightly up in a, in, a, in, a, in a poll I think either last month or the, or the month before yeah. uh, and I think that was partly driven by the extreme weather that we had yeah. on the continental Europe but also here we had rain all through July and people are kind of coming around to this idea that well this is climate change happening and it's impacting us and it's and uh, you it's something and we need, we need, we need to, to tackle. To pick that point up, this story in the Business Post about Leo Varadkar heading off to an EU council meeting saying we need to get new funds for mm. farmers to rewild or get out of farming, it doesn't really clear yeah. make it clear why. Is that a sort of a Fine Gael rationale or calculus saying 
this vote, uh, this rural vote, this farming vote, whatever you loosely want to describe it, is up for grabs. I mean, this could float around. I mean, this this is, do you see that article as part of this or do you think that vote is actually up for grabs? Um, well, I mean, I don't think farmers are going to vote for the Green Party. Um, that, that's, that's, no. just, that's just the way it is. So I don't think, for example, if we get this new kind of rural party or farmers party that's been talked about, that they would be, uh, you know, taking votes off of, off of the Greens. But I think what Varadkar is, is uh, speaking to really is that uh, farmers feel very, um, uh, they, they feel kind of that they've been, cli- I think he uses the phrase climate shamed. Uh, and that they're being blamed for this this crisis and for you know the the perception that the government's not moving quick enough to implement uh, climate climate action measures, um, and I suppose they're they're trying to find ways in which to uh, mollify farmers, and mm. I I think part of that is giving them money. Yeah, so they're um, I mean effectively what they're trying to do is to compensate farmers. You know, for changing their ways, for, for changing their ways yeah. in, in kind of a bring, you know, restoring nature into mm. the whole agricultural agricultural pattern. I think you know some of that might have come out of you know there was a huge controversy over that uh, the EPA tweet, the Environmental Protection mm. Agency tweet, which was taken down then, yeah, yeah, which was taken down, but which was along the lines of eat less meat, uh, eat uh, mm. less red meat. Now, obviously, the science will say. That is kind of what you should sure. do, is eat mm. less red meat. But I suppose you know, they're saying that you need to balance that out as well with farmers. Well, if your you know, business is to, to, to so. have cattle on your land and then... Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ragnar yeah. makes, makes, makes the fair point that the farming, that, you know, the industry, the dairy industry was encouraged to expand and produce more yeah. milk because of the lifting yeah. of milk. And now they're looking and, to stabilise yeah. the herd, so they encourage them to grow and now they want the herd stabilised. Yeah. The so. other thing I found strange, and again, a lot, of, a lot of things I find strange, nobody else finds them strange, so bear with me on this one. But when this constituency redrawing came up, Sean Sherlock, who's a TD down in Cork, he literally said, oh, well, I'm finished, I'm done for, I, I represent Mallow, sure, I can't be expected to get votes from 10 miles down the mm. road or whatever. And I sometimes think we forget how localised Irish politics is, that a lot of these guys are clientelist politicians in a particular town or town land. And if you ask them to go and get votes down the road, they sort of go. And actually, just even on that constituency, because I'm not too far from there. So, I mean, that's Cork North Central, I think, that now includes Mallow. Is that that's right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Mallow's been moved into Cork North yeah. Central. Yeah, which, Cork you know, East. really, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, Cork North Central was seen to be very much a Cork urban constituency and, you know, bringing Mallow into it. I mean, I, as I say, I don't live too far from Mallow on the other side, mm. you know. But but having that said, I, I, I do know that, you know, because I know a lot of people living in Mallow, there's, you know, there's a huge amount of commuting now from Mallow to, 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 to Cork, you know, from, from, from workers, but also from school children who are now getting the train mm. from Mallow to Cork. So I suppose, you know, that that's, that's just an inbuilt in the boundaries. Well, you, you might have a view on it, but I mean, it sort of highlighted to me a parish pump type thing that we yeah. thought had gone but here we have a politician that uh, well, says, unless I moved an inch out of my hometown, I'm done for. I, I mean, like, I, I mean I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think um, I, I don't think it ever went, to be honest. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think that the nature of our electoral system means that, um, you know, politicians are very close to their constituents and they feel the need to provide a service to them. They often talk about providing a service in the constituency. And that means, you know, uh, expediting a medical card or getting social welfare payments that they might be uh, constituents might be entitled to but can't get. Mm. Frank McDonald has a good piece in the Sunday Independent about this today where he talks about, he's the, the former uh, Irish Times environment editor, I think, and, and he talks about how, like, the whole debate has been skewed around the, you know, no one has has been g- giving out about the fact we're increasing the number of TDs. And in fact, some people have criticised the Electoral Commission for not recommending even more TDs. Um, when in fact, like, a lot of these TDs are clients list, they're, um, you know, their constituencies are very, are very important. That, and that detracts from, being national legislators and legislators, yeah, well, that's, a, that's my point. Is it yeah. like, 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 like we've yeah. had, we've had, like Dublin is littered yeah. 
with people who TDs who aren't from Dublin, right? Like, I mean, it's so quite a startling the... statistic about local government uh, that that I think public spending in Denmark, sixty five percent of it comes from local governments, whereas I think it's like a fraction, a small fraction of that in Ireland, which is basically his argument is that local authorities have been had their power eroded, and that mm. started back when Fianna Fáil abolished rates in the, at the towards the end of the nineteen seventies, local uh, domestic rates, and that from there we've just seen the hollowing out of local government. Uh, everything coming from central government, local authorities reliant on central government for funding, um, and you know basically the country kind of he he argues, and it's a very cynical take. I, you know, some might might say, but he kind of argues this this allows politicians at a national level they're they're focused on their constituencies. That's really all they care about. And that means that the mandarins, the civil servants, effectively run the country, you know? Yeah, which is, seems to be true. Um, Aileen, uh, Don in Dublin, not happy, he seems to be suggesting we're sort of almost uh, canonising or, or putting the, 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 the crown on Sinn Féin already. He says 33% for Sinn Féin means 67% support yeah. for all the other parties. There's absolutely no God-given right conferred on Sinn Féin to be mm. in government whatsoever, well, says Don. Well, there's no given God-given right, but, they, <laughs> no. you know, I mean, this and various other opinion polls have shown that they seem to be yeah. getting... You know that, that there will be the largest party. That doesn't mean that they're going into government. No. But I think it's always after an election, it's always incumbent on the largest party to try and form a government, to try and put yeah. a government together. You had that in um, in uh, in 20, 2016, rather with Fine Gael, I think was the largest party only by a handful of seats. I think mm. fifty to to Fianna Fáil's forty four. But they set about trying to form a government, and they did form a minority government in the end with with independence. And I think again after the next election, I think it, as as seems very likely at this stage, if Sinn Féin are the largest party, I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will step back and say, "Well, you guys go and try and form a government." And there's lots of different permutations. Obviously, we're, we're talking a lot about. And I hope it happens quicker than the, than the well, last I don't time. Think it, will. it was I mean, extraordinarily I, long. I think time. we're we're. I think it'll be a long dance this time. It'll be a long dance. I mean, you know, in the medium yeah. term, after a lot of a lot of elections, mm. because of the way our politics is fragmented now, we're not a two and a half party system anymore. We're, we're basically three Remind me, did the negotiations the last time, they almost went up to when COVID was starting, was it? Or well, in they, or about the negotiations that, ran like... from sort of February, well, the, the election was in February, February and then yeah. COVID happened and then the negotiations yeah. kind of ran into the summer. The government wasn't formed yeah. until yeah. late June 2020. So I, I think that will be the norm from now on. You're going to have three, four months, happens a lot on the continent, where um, it takes a while for governments to be formed. And there's lots of different permutations. And I wouldn't rule out, for example... Sinn Féin forming a minority government with a kind of a confidence and supply style support deal with Fianna Fáil, where Fianna Fáil can say we'll support you on a case-by-case -case mm. basis in, in Dáil votes. Um, that kind of arrangement uh, works between, uh, well, works maybe as a subjective view, but but it, it, it certainly it gave us but a stable government for four years. I suppose years. the health warning to all of this is these are all based on current support levels. Yes, We correct. could have an entirely different conversation Say you could sketch out another alternative course, which is inflation comes under control, which it is coming down. I know it's dreadful, but it's still coming down. Housing could improve. It may mm. not be critically better, but it yeah. might be better. Yeah. Suddenly the numbers can, right? I mean, I mean, you can sketch that. It's not out yeah. of the, you know, I mean. Because you the, 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 sorry, no, I was going to say, because again, you know, speaking, I mean, from this opinion poll, it shows that the, the most important current issues are housing which is 51%, cost of living 50%, mm. healthcare 27%, crime 13%. Mm. But again, as you say, you know, a lot can change between now and the end of next year. And, you know, you, you'll also have the, the, the local and European elections mm -hmm. in June next year. Uh, again, while this is, 
you know, the, the redraw of the, of the constituencies will probably lead to further changes. I mean, it'll probably actually mean a further squeeze. And I think you even refer to this in one of your articles on smaller parties. It probably Absolutely, does favour yeah. the big three. It does, it does. What yeah. about I mean, the whole Holly Cairns phenomenon, right? I mean, the Sock Dems looking at this poll, you were at 9%, right? Mm -hmm. Am I correct? I obviously, I must have been 9 no, seats. Sorry, they're, 9 they're seats or 9%? 6%, uh, 6%, 9, 6 9 seats. No, okay, sorry, okay, apologies, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive numbers for her since yeah. she's come in. Now, one rule of thumb is, you know, she's a new leader, you know, young, you know, bright woman coming in, not that well known, slight novelty value of just her name not being the national figure. Mm -hmm. So it'll sort of wear away. The alternative is, low. she's grubbed onto this housing thing. The Sock Dems have, have kind of wedged themselves in well between mm -hmm. Labour and Sinn Féin. So it's still a bit early, I suppose, to be definitive about which one of those is going to win out, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, the Sock Dems' great advantage, I think, is that is, is they're... They can pitch themselves as as a party that isn't Sinn Féin, um, and it obviously isn't the the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, uh, you know, uh, axis. And I I think that that will be an advantage for them going into that election. And um, they can genuinely pitch themselves as as players in any coalition uh, building. And I you know I think they've set themselves an ambition. But if they to, grow any to, further from here, do they, do they do that at the expense of Sinn Féin? Is that, uh, is, I, is that I, the dynamic? I think it. I think they would. I think that's where mm -hmm. they stand to benefit potentially. And um, talking about the same. I mean, they talk a lot about housing, obviously, and Sinn Féin talk a lot about housing, but they might pitch themselves as having more realistic solutions uh, okay. to the housing crisis. A, a few of our texters um, very much still on the same territory of the Fianna Fáil Sinn Féin thing. Um, mm -hmm. A texter saying, has anyone actually asked Fianna Fáil members if they want to go to coalition with, as a junior partner with Sinn Féin? I think it's very hard to see party members passing that whatsoever. Well, I think John Drennan has a piece in the mail today in, in his uh, projection piece. He, he says that uh, Fianna Fáil sources are telling him that um, they would only go into government with Sinn Féin on the basis of a, a, a coalition of equals with rotating Taoiseach. Yeah. Rotating Taoiseach is, is now another thing. But if they go to a meeting in, the say, agenda, the, you know. if they go to a meeting in the RDS, say, and throw this open to party members, mm. would it actually pass? Well, I, I think it has, a, it has a chance of passing, mm. yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, we could have sat here five years ago and said there's no way Fianna Fáil members would stomach a coalition with Fine Gael. Mm. They voted for it by think, north of seventy. The pragmatic party, right? They're pragmatic, and I think they, they recognise that you know the, the situation has changed. Um, you know, as I said, we're, our electoral system has been uh, fragmented in a way that perhaps we might not have expected. But certainly since twenty eleven, like the whole system in this country has changed. That we now have this block of three parties uh, which shows no sign of going away. Okay, listen, I'm going to have to take a, a short break here, folks. When we come back, we leave politics alone. So anyone who's listening who doesn't want politics, we oh. have other things going on. So after this break, we'll be talking about Vera Power, what's happening in the FAI. Here in studio, dissecting a decent enough um, weekend's papers for early September is Hugh O'Connell, who is the political deputy political editor of the Sunday Independent, and Aileen Hickey, who is the CEO of Parent Line. You're both very welcome. We've moved away. There's a ban from here on in at utter fatwa against politics discussions. Hugh <laughs> is going to find I'll very be, difficult. He's, he's, he's hanging from the desk here, being dragged, you know, back in it's here. My turn to shine, so yeah. So let, let's yeah. balance it up. Um, you know, you'll be fined if you mention politics for the next half an hour. Understood. So let's talk Vera Power, right? A, a tough week because she's lost her job, Aileen. Yeah. Um, which is never nice. Nobody wants to see anyone lose their job. But yeah. um, according to a, a really, really good account of what happened in the Sunday Independent, Mark Tighe, to be honest with you, it's such a good account, you know, it's probably more interesting than any news story that's arisen so far about what happened to her. All sorts of different casts of characters floating in and out of the story. So after reading it and all the other stuff, do you have any, do you have more or less sympathy for Vera Powell for what befell her during the week? 
I probably have more sympathy for her, to be honest. I mean, you know, the, the, as you said, there's a very good piece by Mark Tighe on page six of the Sondiendo and Shane Ross actually has a very good opinion piece just below that. So, you know, it would appear from the reading, you know, she she essentially, she, you know, she she was caught in, in, in a, a crossfire. I mean, so, or sorry, the FAI were caught in a crossfire uh, because essentially Vera, as Shane said, lost the dressing room. So this seems to have been very much, um, you know, a... a, a player power in that, that you know that, that there was a serious rift and a lot of tetchy exchanges between herself and the players but I suppose particularly her captain Katie McCabe um, I think though at the, and there's also been difficulties with her I think there's been a rift seemingly between her and uh, Jonathan the, Hill and Jonathan Hill this, the FAI CEO Jonathan Hill um, but I suppose you know looking at it from the just the general public and supporters point of view I mean I think that in the opinion poll as well I think there's something like 52% uh, who don't um, would, of, of the public don't understand why she's gone and wouldn't have liked to see her go because as far as the public is concerned it's only last year that she was RTE manager sports manager of the year you know she brought uh, <laughs> you have the, to be flexible in this game Irish don't you women's like, team from hero to zero ever, yeah. yeah she brought them to our first ever World Cup she's one of one, one of only three managers that has ever brought Ireland to a World Cup that would be Mick McCarthy and Jack Charlton obviously as well uh, she was you know it was only last year that she was the Grand Marshal at the St. Patrick's Parade so you know it, it's been a, a very that's rapid that's always a kiss of death you know? well it is actually yes so, but, but it's been a very rapid you know fall from grace um, and I suppose you know, I suppose on the, looking at that and, and on the other hand, then, you know, I suppose people are looking at Stephen Kenny, who seems to be, you know, the the, the uh, men's foot, uh, football manager. And he certainly seems to be hanging on, you know, mm. by, by the skin of his teeth because he has, you know, he certainly hasn't had the results that she's had. And her results aren't just on paper. I mean, it's, it's pulling in the crowds, you know, the, 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 the huge numbers of uh, people who are now supporting the women's team, seats being filled in Tallah Stadium all the time that were empty up to now. So, you know, she's had a huge impact one way or the other on uh, Irish football and particularly on Irish women's football since she took over in 2019. So, you know, it, it just seems to be it, it does seem to be very harsh. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I know, obviously, there was there was a, a huge um, upset about the whole Houston Dash, um, the US uh, investigation into, um, you know, claims of her, you know, attacking players for um, their, their eating habits or eating, you know, and eating disorders and all the rest of it. So, you know, th- there's an awful lot there. So it's, it's certainly not as clear cut as it would seem. Um, you we, we have to obviously be careful draw, tying the Stephen Kenny thing into this. There are different sports, different managers, different leagues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But a lot of people are making that contrast, yeah. Uh, because you know, whatever Stephen Stephen Kenny would probably, if he was here now, would say the results haven't been good enough, etc. Yeah. So that, there's not much argument about that part. But yeah. when you read this article by Mark Tighe, I mean, he talks about uh, Packy Bonner saying Vera Powell's methods are outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of clash about the way she doesn't want people to do individual training sessions. Apparently, she, her coaching philosophy is dead against that now sitting here humbly I can't say whether this is good or bad but there seems to be some kind of deep cultural clash or incompatibility here between her and the FAI which is kind of hard to get your your arms around so so Mark Ty goes into detail about how adhering to this uh, training method called periodization, where uh, basically um, the the team trains together in in plan cycles to improve football intelligence and communications but it means that sort of individual weight training and running is almost forbidden. So you have all these players uh, who play for Ireland who come from various clubs, a lot of them in the UK, some in the US, some on the continent, um, and they have their own specific training regimes, and these clubs would set them specific training regimes, and then they come play with Ireland and POW bans kind of individual training according to her adherence to this, this philosophy. Uh, and that seems to have, have caused a degree of tension. Mm. 
the playing style uh, also caused a bit of tension. I think. I, I think you know one of the reasons why Stephen Kenny has been retained is because he's fundamentally changed Ireland's playing style to be a slightly more expansive, uh, on, you know, keeping the ball on the ground, uh, pressing all that kind of stuff, uh, and that seems to be more in line with the philosophy of of the way the which uh, the FA the FAI wants all of its teams right through uh, underage codes, men and women's games to play. And Pau's style seems to have been in conflict with that, coupled with, as you said, the, the the stuff about her time at Houston Dash and the controversies around that. The friction with Jonathan Hill seems to stem from that, where he mm-hmm. told her not to, uh, he told Vera Pau not to respond to this article in the Athletic, which which dredged up these allegations, and she did in quite some detail. So, are you saying when you put all those together in a pile, so, yeah. there's actually a fair bit there that does the, lead you towards this? Why it's happened? Well, it explains why it's happened as to whether it's right or not is is another yeah. question. I mean, I, as I, as I was saying, kind of off air earlier, I think like one of the things that that the public are looking at this and is just thinking, here's another unholy mess created by the FAI it, it, to them it seems uh, you know after everything that's gone on over the years between the Roy Keane McCarthy breakdown in Saipan uh, obviously the John Delaney scandals and sponsors um, you have a, a bit then, of a yeah, news there's on another, that there's another, page three. there's another story by Barry Barry J White on page 3 of the Business Post uh, that Stripe um, the, the payments company uh, owned by the, the John and Patrick Collison the founders of the of, the, of that company, and um, that they uh, turned down uh, an approach by the FAI to sponsor the, the men's national team, which hasn't had a sponsor since 2019. Uh, the FAI were looking for a deal of, of between uh, of around 2.5 million per year, and Stripe basically balked at that cost. And and who could blame them? I suppose in a situation where the men's team is is struggling, no real prospect of qualifying for a tournament anytime. And soon. a trip to Paris against France. And a trip to Paris <laughs> against France to come. I suppose the only bright spark is Evan Ferguson. Yeah, we should mention for, yeah, for Brighton today, yesterday, yesterday. The eighteen-year-old striker, uh, an incredible talent, uh, but one uh, potentially uh, world-class talent alone. I can imagine what? Stripe saying, "We don't want to sponsor the Irish team, but could yeah. we just sponsor him?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I, but I don't think one world-class talent alone is going to be enough necessarily for Ireland to, to progress, the men's team to progress. Um, but look, there's there's certainly a lot for... The, I mean, the one thing in all of this, I suppose, is we've heard a lot from Vera Pau over the last 48 hours. Mm. Now we need to hear from the FAI yeah. on all of this. Yeah, and actually, I think... If Jonathan Hill wants to ring up now and talk to us, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to go. To I'm ready to go. I have my notebook ready. But actually, one of the other things that Shane Ross uh, referred to is, you know, again, kind of the whole eaten bread is soon forgotten kind of thing that no one seems to remember how she, it, was, it was Vera Powell that diffused a very dangerous situation when... Uh, when the, 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 the you know when the players sang you know up the raft following yeah, their, their victory against Scotland yeah. and she, she you know she she very quickly dealt with this diffused mm-hmm. it you know a, a, about as quickly as you could possibly she dealt with it really do. well yeah. as I recall yeah. yeah and and yeah I mean look she again it, it, the other thing I suppose we, we, we didn't touch on is is she's Dutch uh, the Dutch are known for being direct and that and, style and we're not yeah and we're not <laughs> yeah and that that style seems to have come into conflict with with various various people so look it's it's she seems very distraught by it all, really. Yeah. I think she I wanted think, to I stay. I think you're both in your own subtle way are saying that they should have not got rid of Vera Pau. Well, I, <laughs> I, 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 I know I'm butching you. Whether or not they, 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 I mean... Sorry, there was, I think, uh, um, at the board meeting where they made the final decision, there had been a suggestion that possibly they would renew her contract for six months yeah. and, you know, allow that to bring about change and change maybe her training methods, mm. you know, the set I don't think and that, all the rest of it. I don't think that would have worked. So yeah, I, 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 I you're a bit she, of a, you're yeah. a bit of a yeah. kind of a walking I mean, wound. I, what I would say is I, I disagree with the idea of giving her a contract extension before the World Cup. I think there's a history in, across international football of, of managers being given contract extensions before tournaments 
tournaments, yeah. failing at those tournaments, and then they're, they're stuck on this contract and the association can't get rid of them. I can think of Fabio Capello, I think, was, was one of them, Sven Goran Eriksson maybe as well in, in England. But uh, So I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, th- I think the way the FAI has handled this has been mm. pretty shoddy by the looks of it, you know, and, yeah. and, and certainly they've left her... They've left her hanging yeah, out. And to dry, it looks know? like it'll rumble into next week, doesn't it? Just on what we're so, saying. Yeah. Let me just shift your attention on a little bit to something that's going to be, I'd say, a big story in the next 24 hours. And there's going to be a lot of indignancy about this because I don't think a lot of people actually know about it yet. But the Gilligan Tapes is a program going out to be broadcast on Virgin Media. It's covered in page five of the Sunday Independent. I mean, everyone knows who John Gilligan is. They know his track record, which is truly awful. He is he is convicted of a lot of very serious offences. He has been accused of, of assaulting Veronica Gear, and he has been also accused at one stage of, of actually murdering her. And Virgin Media have contracted uh, journalist Jason O'Toole to do a piece of work with them. We have to obviously see the programme. I haven't seen it, but we get the, the general outline of what it's going to be about. Aileen, I mean, obviously for the gear and family, for starters, this is going to be deeply traumatic. But also there's a wider issue of should we be going around interviewing convicted um, criminals of this level of notoriety and giving them airtime? I mean, that, that question that is very well, centrally asked here, isn't it? Yeah, but that seems to be that seems to be the question. So I suppose, you know, there certainly is a big appetite, it appears, for true crime. So, you know, that this is, I think, the guys that this is being done under the the the, the, um, the book and the, the tapes. I think there was something like 40 hours of taped interviews conducted for this three-part documentary series that starts going out tomorrow night, the Gilligan, the Gilligan tapes, is it? Yeah, I think it's the Gilligan tapes. Yeah. tapes. So, you know, and I suppose... You know the, the 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 what the Guerin family and um, you know would appear to be saying is that this is kind of a, a you know a self serving tell all interview and that you know while there while I think it's being said by Jason O'Toole and those who've made the program that they do have some senior guardy on it who have rebutted some of what John Gilkin has said but still a lot of it I think is just being put out there so it looks like it's you know manipulation of um, you know his view of, of, of his life and, you know, the, the whole um, Veronica Guerin um, assault and the subsequent allegations that he was involved in her murder. Um, and I think um, this is in light, obviously, of the fact that he's in court tomorrow in Spain uh, on serious drug and weapons and uh, crime gang charges uh, and likely to face six years, I think, if, if he's convicted himself and uh, his son and, you know, a, a couple of his mates. Um, so I think the, the fear is here that, you know, how is he allowed to to, to, to peddle these these lies, I think, is, is what the headline says. Um, and, you know... Yeah, and also Veronica can't answer back. And, and know, Veronica can't answer back. Point. So even Graham, I mean, I think he was a comment there, but I think even Graham Turley, who, yeah. her, her, her husband, who has said very little on the matter over the years, um, even, you know, he, when he was asked, I'll let you take over from there. Yeah, no. <laughs> take over you. <laughs> He's um, quoted in the Sunday World, um, that he was aware of the upcoming series. I think we were notified about it, but we didn't particularly, uh, or we didn't participate at all. Said Graham, um, who uh, you know, as 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 Aileen says, hasn't hasn't spoken a huge amount since since her mm. uh, murder in 1996. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, there's, there's Jimmy Gearin has done an interview with um, with with Liam Collins in the, Liam Collins in the Sunday Independent. Liam was the um, and Liam goes into a bit of detail about his own kind of personal involvement in this story. He was the uh, Sunday Independence duty news editor when Veronica Guerin was assaulted by Gilligan uh, at, at the Jessbrook Equestrian Centre uh, in Kildare. 
and that she identified the Gill- Gilligan as the man who assaulted her. Now, Gilligan has downplayed this incident in, in the interview, supposedly, um, and claims... Uh, that he 80, lifted her into the car. Yeah, and he claims that what, what she'd written about it was 80% a lie, but yeah. Collins points out there's medical records, uh, yeah. and I mean, he shouldn't really have to point okay, this well, out. Okay, let's, let's see if the, the political system picks this up over the next 24 hours. I'd yeah. say Virgin Media could, could come under some pressure over yeah. this before it airs, but we'll see how it goes. You uh, leave it there. We'll come up after the break. We'll be talking about a new probe into what happened during COVID. Yes, this is on the record for the last portion of the first hour of the programme in studio with me now is Deputy Political Editor of the Sunday Independent, Hugh O'Connell, also of Aileen Hickey, who is a barrister and CEO of Parentline. You're all very welcome along. Gavin Riley is at a music gig in the Midlands, which we won't give the name to at the moment. Now, folks, um, you, you've got a story on page three, I think it is. Am I right? Um, uh, have yes. a quick look. No, yes. five. High tech, five. Uh, page five. Uh, I'm going to just take a deep breath for this word. COVID-19. Mm. <laughs> COVID-19. That's what yeah. everyone needs. But... Massive, massive story at the time. Huge public event, probably one of the biggest events of recent decades. The British have been getting on with an inquiry, some of which has been quite interesting, actually. Um, We've been kind of, as we tend to be, a bit sluggish, but we are finally setting up the uh, main elements and infrastructure behind it. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, so we we had expected a a COVID inquiry to be in place, I think, by the middle of this year. That that was certainly what the Taoiseach had said uh, earlier this year, but it's it's been delayed. um, But there's a scoping exercise that's been carried out in the Taoiseach's department that's now completed, I understand. And the, 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 the kind of broad shape of what it will be is, is beginning to emerge. So it's likely to take the form of an expert panel chaired by a judge and there'll be separate modules which will assess not only the public health restrictions um, and their impact, but also the economic response. The Do you expect of, these to be public hearings where the people yeah, go I, in? Yeah, I, I think there'll definitely be an element that, that will be in public. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of caution against this kind of tribunal-style inquiry um, that would seek to apportion blame, but certainly kind of looking at what Ireland did well and what it didn't do well, looking at what happened in nursing homes, for example, where the virus had a, had a, had a, had a deadly impact. Um, and I think this whole issue will probably come back onto the agenda again later this month when we, we know the former CMO, Tony Holan, is publishing his book. Now, it's largely a, a personal memoir about his, his late wife, um, but... I think he'll be touching upon some of the uh, more controversial aspects. Well, the sooner it's done, response, the better, because the, the the quicker and the fresher people's memories are, the Obviously, more valuable yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's amazing so, how quickly we we all forget. Really, I mean, I think COVID is for a lot of people is is a distant memory and something they'd like to forget. But its impacts are profound, and we're yeah, still and, dealing with them. And, um, victims, and will be for yeah, decades, victims you know? of the pandemic. Yeah, the yeah. Family, but actually, yeah. the victims. But also, I think you know, it, it, there there does need to be you know, an, a, you know, an inquiry into like the, the long term effects on children, particularly yeah. um, yeah. school going children. Yeah. And you know, and, and we've seen. You know, I I personally through through my own work I've seen a lot of yeah. know, like the, and the, the, the huge damage that was as caused you said the nursing homes piece and, and the nursing I, homes I hope yeah. the old antigen testing yeah. will also get an outing because I yeah. think that was kind of important but hey let's, let's shift on from that and talk a bit about schools actually um, good story on the front page of the Sunday Independent Aileen I'll go to you first on this one which is that Norma Foley the education minister is looking at a potential ban on smartphone use in primary schools um what do you make of this idea? I mean, is she right to look at this? Is it even practical? Well, I think she's not, there's no formal directive coming from her, which appear no. yet. What she's actually doing is she's 
going to give schools um, the measures and the supports that they might need to put their own individual bans in place. So there's no outright directive coming from her, uh, which I think is probably the right way to, to deal with it. It's actually it's actually a huge story, but if you let me away with it, I'll keep no, talking about it. Um, so He's whatever. eyeing you suspiciously there. <laughs> I, I need this to correct story needs to be presented. I, I need to, yeah, I need to present you very correctly because I'm afraid of what you might say to me. But anyway, so it's primary schools. I mean, I think a lot of this has come out of you. There's a, there's a school principal in the, the Greystones Wicklow area, Rachel Harper, who has been behind uh, the banning of mobile phones in primary schools, in eight separate primary schools in that particular area and has received huge support from it. I mean, I think not every parent has gone along with it, but the overwhelming um, majority have. So, you know, so this is something that I think, I mean, again, as CEO of Parentline, I think this would be a fantastic... But do they need to be banned? What I mean, but I do, I do some teaching at third level, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, can they not just tell the children to turn them off? And is well, that, you do you need tell... a formalised ban is what I'm asking? Well, I, I, I think you probably do and I think that's what, what, what a lot of parents would feel. I I mean, again, you know, in my role as CEO of Parentline, about one in every 10 calls we get would refer at some stage to, you know, parents' concerns over um, mobile phone use, smartphone use, because of, you know, they, 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 they can suddenly find themselves, you know, um, being exposed to inappropriate content, sure. um, um, cyberbullying. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, they, they are a huge, you know, without the proper guidance and teaching, mobile phones, smart in the smartphones in the hands of younger children can be extremely damaging on their mental health and their physical well-being. Um, and again, and it's not just primary schools. I mean, I, I, I will say, you know, in, in, the, in the school that one of my kids is in secondary school and they're bringing in um, these uh, pouches, these um, block pouches. So you, if sometimes <laughs> when you go to festivals and you're allowed to take photos. Imagine if you just throw the poll cores in Ireland, you know, they made did, they, what is this <laughs> is in a pouch. You put your yeah, so the, the, the child puts their phone in the pouch and that, that pouch is locked for the day. So they actually keep their phone with them mm-hmm. in the pouch, but they, they they're the phone they're blocked from use of the pouch. I think they're a fantastic idea. Um and that as I say, that's in a secondary school. So I, I you know, I just think, you know, there there there's there's a reason why there's a growing concern over the use mm-hmm. of mobile phones mm-hmm. in schools and you know to I mean it's an educational you, platform. Is this, um, and I, I I don't in any way question anything that Aileen's saying about the reasons, but there are people who look at this store and say this is a bit bit populisty, you know, by Norma Foley. Well, it's a bit jumping on something that's already out there. But, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's worth noting, I think, that Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, has been calling for mm-hmm. this for some time. Yeah. He, he wrote a piece in the Irish Times about it a while ago and he was out calling for it again last week because he's concerned about the profound impact of smartphones and, and um, you know, the internet and, and video sharing apps and all these things on uh, children's health and well-being, uh, not just their, their mental health, but their mm-hmm. physical health as well. Yeah. So I, I think that um, it's something that... Uh, you know, the government's not implementing, as Aileen says, any sort of directive or anything like that. It's it's merely uh, encouraging schools or backing schools that decide to do this on a voluntary basis, as they have done in Greystones, and they, they think it's had a very good impact out there. OK, now, we all know we're, we're suffering, all of us, in our own various ways from the cost of living crisis, as we call it, the inflation crisis, a word had been abolished for decades, really, in daily um, lexicons. Aileen, a great chance, though, to cut some costs for women. And page 20 of the Daily Mail, the seven pound or seven euros pennies bra gets a thousand word treatment. What do you think? This is something that's going to help a lot of women, according to this article. They're not necessarily made all by recyclable material, but this article is saying it's pretty green as these products go and you can get it for seven quid. Well, obviously, anything that reduces down the cost of living. I mean, bras are, you know, are a necessity for most women. And it's not just a bra. You're getting a matching nylon bra and thong set um, from pennies. And I'm not advertising here for pennies, but that's what you're getting. Which I will say from the outset, it's fantastic as long as it's not a one-use product. I mean, I think the difficulty with a lot of clothing 
uh, is that, you know, a lot of clothing goes into, I mean, the world is full of clothes and a lot of them go into landfill because, mm. you know, they're, they're single use products. So I suppose the worry over anything as cheap as this is what's it made of? Now, pennies, I think, are saying that it is made of 50% recyclable materials. I think that is actually being disputed. There's also, I suppose, the fear of, you know, the carbon footprint to even get this bra because, you know, the, the fabric is made in China and then it has to be brought to a port and then travel to whatever shops and all the rest of it. But on the face of it, yes, I mean, they, I suppose it, it's the fact that you can. Apparently as well, the other good news is that uh, they, these are fantastic in terms of their cut, fit and their fabric and they're the perfect shape. And I've always wanted to ask you, O'Connell, this question. You, How are you on the idea of cheap bras? Is this something you've been <laughs> It hasn't pondering? been something I've been pondering or considering or thinking about a huge amount, but um, look, I think Aileen makes a fair point about, you know... <laughs> what she it, said, yeah. Yeah, if it's durable, you know, whether it's durable and whether you get more than one use out of it and, and in my experience, that kind of cheap clothing... Not yeah, bras now. I, I have no experience of bras, <laughs> uh, wearing a bras anyway. I'm glad um, that qualification has gone across yeah, the head. But, uh, <laughs> but in my experience, that, that, that kind of cheap clothing isn't necessarily yeah. great quality yeah, that's uh, or durable. Okay, yeah. listen, thank you, folks. It is a serious issue underneath it all, but a, a bit of a frivolous end in some senses, but actually a very important issue nevertheless. Thank you very much, Aileen Hickey, who is a barrister and CEO of ParentLine, and you, Conlou's deputy political editor with the Sunday Independent. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.